You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always contact the show. You can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can email your questions to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. You know, August is a month, especially... You know, here in Michigan, I don't know where everybody else is, but like everybody disappears. People are here, people are there, everyone goes on vacation. I even noticed my daughter um, had different friends hanging out with her um, the last couple nights because usually she hangs out with the girls in the neighborhood. Well, everyone's disappeared. So it, it like opens the door for new friends to come and hang out. And she's usually the type, she's... Uh, She's not early to rise. She's late to rise, but she's also early to bed. Uh, but she was out quite late. We heard them making noise in the front lawn. But it was just nice to watch her spread out a little bit to the friends that are left hanging around. So August is a real vacation month. That's why I wasn't here last week. I won't be here next week. Um, and we had a family vacation um, for the first time, we went, we're in Michigan, we went to what's called the Upper Peninsula. Obviously, if you're in Michigan, you know it's almost like its own state. You go across the famous Mackinac Bridge, you have Lake Huron on one side and Lake Michigan on the other side, and we had an Airbnb, and it was perfect. It was clean, we had enough beds. Uh, some of the springs maybe were a little old in the sofa beds, but it worked out fine. We had a kitchen, eating area, fire pit, I brought a grill up with us. We had a canoe on the lake. It was, it was beautiful family time. And we were entertaining from 22 years old to 9 years old. We did all kinds of fun stuff. Beautiful, beautiful things. We saw what's called the Kwamen Falls. We went to this great um, bear, I think it's called Oswald Bear Park, where, okay, they charge you, but they let you surround the bear. You have to wear masks because they don't want the bears getting corona. And um, they give you basically a paintbrush full of jelly. So my little one is there putting the jelly by the bear's mouth so the bear is calm, about 50-pound bears. Um, they rescue bears. That's really what they do there. They don't raise bears. I mean, they raise them once they save them, but they're not looking to populate bears. Just such a fun time, a picture rock, which, of course, you've seen these beautiful pictures. You've probably seen them just when the... Okay, we didn't go on, on the sunset cruise. That's the most beautiful when the sun is shining on all this different colored rock and, the, and, and just the different formations of rock. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We did this thing, Shipwreck Museum. I saw the Sulaks. But what does going on vacation have to do with what I like to talk about, with Torah? So it's really amazing. Um, there was a famous book, not a very big book, um, 60 pages in Hebrew, called Mesilas Yesharim, um, which means the, um, the path of the straight or the path of the just. 
And it's called, the Hebrew word is, is, is Musser, but, but the purpose of the book is to help people acquire good character traits. It was interesting. He was a big Kabbalist, but it was bad timing because when he, when he was studying and teaching Kabbalah, that was really right after or soon after um, the story of Shabtai Tzvi. Perhaps we've talked about the story of Shabtai Tzvi in the past. Um, he was a false messiah. And the reason he was so, he was charismatic, but the, the reason he brought so many people along was because he was blaming everything on Kabbalah. And he was well-versed in Kabbalah, but he was a false messiah. We'll talk about false prophets um, in our next show. And he brought a lot of people, and we're talking about tens of thousands, if not more, Jews were following him. And then it was just disastrous when he it, he went to go see the... Um, um, what was he called in Turkey? The um, I forgot what the Turkish leader was called. He was a, not a sultan, but I forgot what he was called. But anyways, that was the Muslim leader of the time of Turkey in that whole Constantinople. And basically, he converted on the spot to Islam when the uh, when that leader um, threatened to chop off his head. So that, of course, was disastrous for all those Jewish people that were following him. So the rabbis, to combat that we shouldn't have that difficulty anymore... They basically forbade all types of Kabbalah teaching and groups and studying. It was more it became a private um, study, but not something that was that was more open to more people. It was just too dangerous. The author, Mesil Yesharim, um, was a person that wrote Kabbalah books and he, he taught Kabbalah. And there was a lot of rabbis that went after him for it, simply because it was just something that they were too afraid of. So he was uh, harassed. He moved to different places. He was in Amsterdam. Eventually, he was in Israel. Um, so, but th- these type of people that have this life where they're being persecuted, um, he's written one of the most famous books called the Mesil Shisharim. Um, every school, I can't tell you every house, but certainly every school, this is something that boys and girls will spend or try to spend a few minutes a day. Rereading and restudying—it's a—it's a—it's just an amazing, what we call safer, but book. Anyways, so let's move it along to what I want, and I give you a little bit of information: who this person was, where is he coming from. So he says, very interesting. He says he talks about people sometimes that they charge like a horse going to war. What does that mean, charging like a horse going to war? The door is not looking left, not looking right. He's just just running, just running, 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 running not paying attention to what's around him, not paying attention that he could be running into a brick wall. It doesn't matter. He's just, just running. This is is, is pointing out that a person cannot be the horse that's just running, charging, not looking where he's going. Yeah, there was a book I read many, many years ago. Um, I don't remember the name of the book. But it, it was a small book. It was one of these self-help books, and it said you have to be like a rhino. You have to charge like a rhino. You don't care what's in front of you. You just keep going. Whatever gets in your way, you just keep going, and that's how you be successful. That might perhaps be good in business, um, but it's not going to be good as, as being a person or running a family, or making relationships. And that's what I want to talk about today. 
the the there was a different uh, book I was reading. I, I shared Friday night with my children, and the topic it was interesting. Last week's topic was just the concept of not running, meaning that a person has to be able to sit quietly sometimes. Our brains are so busy. We're just so busy with stuff. Now, there's always what we call pressure that people have. There's pressure to earn a livelihood, and there's pressure if there's health issues in a family, and there's pressure, obviously, if there's money issues, and there's pressure if there's children that are that are not following the straight and narrow like you, like a person would like. Those pressures, yeah, we, we all have those pressures. We all deal with those pressures. We all live with those pressures. That's what we call life. But nowadays, it's even worse. Nowadays, there's just pressure. There are people out there that even if they have money and even if they have a good family and even if they have health, somehow, whenever you run into these people, they are just under pressure, stress. There's always stress. There's always pressure. How do you help yourself, right? Deal with pressure. Deal with all these issues that really shouldn't be bothering us. And so that's what the Mesil Sisharma was referring to, and that's what this rabbi was referring to in the book Rabbi Zilberstein was talking about last week. And that is, sometimes you need to be able to sit down quietly, find a chair, find a bench. I mean, it's a question. You you really got to think about it. Do you have the ability to sit under a tree for an hour and do nothing. You don't get to take out your phone. Like, it's amazing, right? There is nowhere you go nowadays where when people are standing in line and uh, they don't pull out their phone. Um, many, many years ago, I was in uh, one of those, um, and I don't want to put it down. Um, what do they call them? Uh, level marketing. I can't forget what it's called already. It was um, whatever, like the Amways of the world. Um so one of the things they told you, you got to make contacts, you got to meet people. So they would teach you when you're standing in line, say hello, be friendly, which I'm very good at. But nowadays, everybody is on their phone, even if they have nothing to look at. They're just going to scroll and this so they don't have to make eye contact with anybody. So when people are sitting on a park bench, what are they doing? Their, their phone. They cannot survive sitting quietly, which is something really fascinating to think about. Can you get your brain, which is really the whole idea here, we're always pressured, always this, because we never took any time to get everything to calm down, to get everything to lower down, to to relax. People go to bed, phone's in bed with them, until they collapse from exhaustion. They, they can't sit by the dinner table, if people go to a dinner table. They can't sit there and say, can I be quiet? Can I just sit? That's why I want to get back to the idea of vacation. It's true. I entertained my children. We went places. We hiked. We, we looked at beautiful things and the bears and the boat. My wife loved the boat. The boat that, that went to, pri- to uh, Picture Rock was great for her. She said she slept for two hours. Yeah, she got up once in a while, looked. You weren't allowed to stand. But it was a very comfortable boat, and it drove. She just relaxed. It was fantastic for her. And your phones don't really work too well on the lake out there. And um, one of the things that I, that, that I like to do with my wife when, we're, when we go away to these places is we would make these um, bonfires, not major bonfires, 
you know, I don't know if you know, you get like the big logs that you pay, you can go into the stores or, or parks. A lot of times will sell you like a whole bag of, um, of wood for a, a bonfire in the last couple hours. Of course, like five bucks, ten bucks. Here, the, I, there was one neighbor where we were. They had lots of wood. So I, I said, oh, I need to get some wood. They said, oh, no problem. I said, how much? Five dollars. Gave him five dollars. So the daughter comes back with a wheelbarrow piled up with wood. And she says her father threw in a lot of kindling in the bottom. It was great. I, I had to do extra because we use it every night. So it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's five nights. We had so much wood. It was fantastic. And I would sit there with my wife. We don't have to have a conversation every second we're sitting there. Just sitting there quietly, enjoying company. I sound old. But that idea of sitting by the lake. Yes, if my children were swimming in the lake, so I would sit there. If they were boating, I would sit there. Or if no one was there, I would just sit. This idea... And the phones barely worked up there. They worked uh, better than we thought, actually. We were able to make some phone calls. But this idea, can you decompress, I think is the fancy word they use. Can you decompress? Can you sit quietly? Can you just relax? You can't always be running. We are always running. We're always at business and, and, and errands, and we're always going places and always doing things, but we're just too busy. You need a vacation where you just do nothing. Now, again, you can't just do nothing because the children will go out of their mind, which is also not the best thing in the world. Uh, used to be, way before my times, um, you sent your kid out of the house, the, and, and they found a way to keep themselves busy. Okay, they have a harder time nowadays. They, they do have to be entertained. And they're always good at saying, oh, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. And I say, good. What's wrong with being bored? Okay, but they don't like that. So yes, they, they, my children don't have the ability to just sit by the lake for hours and hours and hours. So we went on trips, you're in the car, you come back, then they'll sit by the lake, or then they'll go swimming, or there's a ping pong table there. But this idea that we need to, to just relax and sit quietly with no phone, you don't have to talk to anybody. Right? That's always the joke, right? Um, somebody says, yeah, fathers fighting for custody with the, when they're divorcing their wives. So somebody said to the wife, said, like, what are you fighting with him for? Tell him no problem. You, you, you take him for a week. He'll, be, he'll go so out of his mind because most fathers do not know how to take care of their children. Um, he'll beg you to take the children back. Like, they fight just to fight. And then they don't know what to do with themselves. Then they have to hire people to take the kids out because they, they cannot entertain them. Plus, they work. So, but again, but, but this concept that we, we, we need to relax is so important for our brains and for our body that it's, it's like a, the kids in school make fun. The principal likes to run around and tell everybody at the end of the season, not that we had an end of season this year, um, but he likes to tell children the end of the season, at the end of the school year, Right, recharge your batteries. Part of what summer is for is you did all this learning through the year, and we don't want you to lose what you learned during the year. We want you to go ahead and, and relax and play ball and, and do what you're going to do during the summer and go on family vacations. But the purpose is to be recharged. We can't go 12 months straight of school. Now, we sort of go 11 because we have 10 months, and then we have day camp, of course, this year. It's going to be amazing.
Um, you think about it. I'm uh, just about ready. My son finally, finally, the schools, the Israeli government, and the airlines have worked it out that within the next week, thousands, probably like, I don't know, between twelve and 17,000 students will fly back to Israel. It's amazing. My son will be one of them. It's Hashem. And um, it, it's been five months. He was home ready before Passover, right? So he was home in March, March, April, May, June, July. We're in August, right? So we'll be halfway through August. That's a solid five, five and a half months of being out of school. That's terrible. You, you, you gotta, we got to get the kids back. Like, and we'll talk about it. Uh, school starts for us in two weeks. And uh, I'll talk about what it's going to be like and what's, uh, what's going to be with the children, what do we need to do for the children. And, and we all know that at the beginning of the school year, we're going to have to do something a little different or a lot different just to reacclimate them. They are not ready for s- certain disciplines that we're used to doing to, to force them to be sitting quietly and force them to, to follow all the rules and regulations. And we'll need a lot of structure, but they're, they're out of the mode of structure. It hasn't been a summer where kids always forget stuff and, and we get them back in and we got to restructure them. We take the time and the patience to get everything back into structure. They're five, six months out of structure. It's going to be hard. And parents have to know it and teachers have to know it. I say children have to know it, but that's our job to help them along. Explaining to little children that, well, you're not used to structure is not helpful because they're, they're not ready. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So, um, again, so, so this was just something I thought was very important to think about. It's the summer vacation, but it's not just doing stuff. It's vacation not doing stuff. Sit quietly, enjoy nature, enjoy quiet, enjoy children's company, enjoy a spouse's company. Just re recalibrate, as the uh, GPS used to say. Waze does, I don't think Waze says that anymore. But the GPS would always say when I would make a wrong turn, recalibrating, recalibrating. Then finally the GPS would start yelling at me and saying, turn around, turn around already, turn around. Anyways, okay. So this week's story portion which we'll have a few minutes now, and uh, the next uh, next segment we'll, we'll get more into it. It is full, full. This whole book of Deuteronomy is a review of, of all the commands. So each Torah portion is very busy just listing off all kinds of commands, and some of them seem to be new. So there, there are those different, uh, like the Barbanel gets very involved in how to show that these are repeats and where it's being repeated from. So one of them is, one of the commands is called Lois is going to do. Now, there's a major problem with this word Lois is going to do because the translations that are used, it's an unusual word, the translations are from, have nothing to do with each other. So two of the more common translations for the explanation of this um, negative command of what you're not allowed to do is either means you cannot make cuts. Um, it was um, common. It was a practice of the Amorites, but others, that when a family member died, they would cut themselves. would cut on the forehead, cut in other places. They would cut themselves. That was how they reacted to a death, and the Torah says you cannot have that reaction when somebody dies. We're going to talk about that. And another common explanation, again, not the only explanations, 
is that the the Jewish community cannot be um, um, really separated. You can't have groups. You can't have, which seems we do have groups. We'll try to talk about that in whatever time we have left. Um, but the idea is that we got the Torah from, from Moses. He gave us the oral law. And then over the years, things were forgotten. And, and there were questions of what's the law here and what's the law here. And certainly with modern technology, um, those questions were not obviously posed because the stuff we have didn't exist. So the idea is that the, the rabbis can get together, but you got to come to a conclusion. You don't want different groups of people in a city doing different things. Now, that's not fully true. In Europe, it would be true, right? You would have your city, you would have the rabbi of the city, and there was one set of rules and regulations, um, so much so they actually had books. They were hundreds of years old discussing the customs of the city. We don't really want a city having multiple customs. That's too confusing. You don't look like you're the same nation anymore, and we want to look like one nation. Now, that changed once we got to America. You had all these groups coming from Iran, Iraq, Morocco, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Hasidic, um, uh, what's called Litvish. They, they had already had their customs. Germans, for hundreds of years already, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years, it was just impossible to say, okay, everybody's got to do the same thing. So we do allow people now to pray a little different or have different customs, but the concept is the same. So the question is... Um, why, how, how do you have the same word mean what would seem to be two totally separate things? I saw something really beautiful. Why would somebody cut themselves over, over a relative who died? Why do we not want someone, the Talmud talks about it, to get overly emotional? Yes, of course, if a relative dies, people are supposed to be sad, people are supposed to cry, it's important to cry, but the Torah gives rules and regulations. Major crying for the first couple of days, then to you're still sitting shiva and you're, you're relaxing longer, but as time goes on, the rabbi said, you got to stop this crying, you can't go overboard. And the reason is because we believe in a soul and a body. And the body is the receptacle for the soul. If you believe that when a person dies, there's nothing left, well, again, there's, there's what to cry for. But if you understand that the soul is now going to a better place and is getting closer to God and is, it's getting rewarded for all its good deeds, so you understand the body is, you know, it's, we're sad, right? We're missing the person who died, who passed away. But this is not the end. To overly cry is to say, this is the end. And we don't want a person saying, this is the end. We want to understand that the soul is where it's at. And now let's take it a step further. Where the soul is at is really that connection to God. And really, really all the Jewish souls are interconnected. We're all coming from the same source. Yes, we're different people and we're different souls. But really, really on a, on a spiritual plane, all the souls are interconnected. And therefore, since all our souls are interconnected, so when it comes to, to the Jewish people living in communities, we want you to be one. Yes, you can have different customs nowadays. But at the end of the day, God wants us to all be one. I guess homogeneous is the right word. 
one homogeneous look, it doesn't mean that we have to look the same and sound the same and talk the same and, and feel the same. It, it means that we understand at the end of the day that we all have a soul. Our souls are all connected. We're all one. We all have to be together. We call that achtos. We, we need a togetherness. It doesn't mean I have to vote the same like you. It doesn't mean I have to look like you. It doesn't mean I have to like the same foods that you like. It doesn't even mean I have to pray the same. But it does mean at the end of the day that my focus has to be very, very um, straight and understanding where I'm going and what I'm looking to do. And that's what we mean that, uh, that we have this word laces going to do, right? It means don't cut because I have to remember the soul is the main part. And once I remember my soul is who I am, but it's not just who I am, it's who the Jewish people are as a whole. And since it's who the Jewish people are as a whole, so that also is the same laces grave. We have to learn to have unity and to be one, which, of course, in nowadays climate becomes rather, rather difficult. But here's my music. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you to my production team. We have David is doing yeoman work in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house.